If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 20th chapter, the book of Revelation, as we continue our study through the Word. So you'll remember last time we left off and (coughs) the church, the bride was at the marriage and supper of the Lamb. And you'll remember that we are rejoicing and feasting with the Lord. You remember that the seven-year tribulation period here upon the earth where judgment was being poured out saw us celebrating with the Lord who had come and caught up his bride. And, and so a glorious feast. I mean a feast of all feasts. I believe this is the ultimate all-you-can-eat buffet and it's free. So it is just going to be absolutely glorious. But then at the end of that feast, the Lord is going to rise. And I believe that when the Lord stands up, that there is going to be an excitement that is going to be palpable. He is about to return now to the earth to establish his kingdom, to rule in righteousness here upon the earth. And and it says that he mounts onto a a whitened steed and, and he has a name on his thigh, King of Kings and... Lord of uh, lords. And it says that we also are going to mount on horses and that we are going to return with him. Meanwhile, back at the ranch here on our earth, uh, you'll remember what's happening is that the armies uh, are in collision with one another. The Antichrist uh, has his armies in the continent of Africa, but the kings of the east are deciding it is time to rebel. The Antichrist has promised peace. He has promised prosperity, but anything but has been the result of the judgments of God as they have fallen upon the face of the earth and and the earth is in absolute chaos. The kings of the east, China and of the east, are going to mount a 200 million man army and they are going to march towards the forces of Antichrist. They will cross the Euphrates and And they will come now into the valley of Megiddo. The Antichrist will come out of Africa through Egypt and across now Gaza into the valley of Megiddo as well. And these two titanic armies are going to fill the battlefield, the theater there of Megiddo of the valley. But as they are set now in their contest, their animosity towards one another, seeking to dominate the world, Jesus Christ himself is going to show up and say, boys, I think this is mine. And they are going to join together. And they are then going to turn their forces against God, against the Lord. And it says that the Lord with the sword of his mouth will slay them and there will be the utter destruction of the armies that will now be in rebellion against Jesus Christ himself. You remember that uh, it said that, that, that Antichrist and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire was never meant for humans. Jesus told us that it was meant for the demonic hell, the demons that had opposed and were in rebellion against God, and and this is what it was created for. 
But the very first two inhabitants uh, of it are going to be the Antichrist and the false prophet. As we come now to Revelation 20, we're going to discover that Satan is not going to be cast into the lake of fire just yet. We are going to see that he is going to be sent to the abuso, which is a, a shaft, a holding place for demonic hordes. And he is going to be bound up and sealed there for a thousand years. The Lord is going to rule in righteousness upon the earth with the saints. And, and there is going to be this glorious period where the earth is going to experience the righteous reign of Christ. But at the end of that thousand years, uh, Satan is going to be let out one last time. And there is going to be a, a, a group that's going to come from the four corners of the earth that he's going to lead in rebellion against Christ and the government of Christ upon the earth. And they will descend upon Jerusalem. And, and it says that God will send fire from heaven that will just destroy them. And this will be the final rebellion of man against God. Satan is then going to be judged. He is then going to be cast uh, into the lake of fire. And, and then there is going to be the judgment of man. The great white throne of judgment where every single person that has not accepted the reconciliation with God through Christ Jesus is going to stand and to have their sins and judged. You see, all sin is going to be judged. And either your sins were judged at the cross through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, or they will be judged at the great white throne of judgment. But make no mistake about it, every sin will be judged. And so the books will be opened and the wicked will be judged and they will be cast into the lake of fire and and then we are going to see that there is going to be a destruction of everything that sin has tainted. Death is going to be destroyed. Hades is going to be destroyed. The earth is going to be destroyed. Heaven, which was the very place that, that sin emerged in God's creation as the rebellion of Satan's heart against God occurred there in heaven when he took a third of the angels and led that rebellion Heaven has been tainted by sin and heaven is going to be destroyed. And a new heaven and a new earth are going to be created. The eternal state now. And we will dwell in all for all eternity in the presence of God free from the contamination of sin. So we continue here in Revelation chapter 20 beginning in verse 1. And it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, this angel that is going to subdue Satan, he's not Christ, he's not Michael, he's not Gabriel, he is not one of the powerful angels, he's just an angel. And this angel now is going to take authority over Satan. He brings the chain, but he brings the key to the bottomless pit. Now, you'll remember back in chapter 9, where the star fell and, and having the key to the abuso, and you'll remember that the abuso was unlocked and opened up. This is a shaft. It's a bottomless pit. Abuso is the Greek word for bottomless pit. And so it was opened up. And you'll remember that there were the demonic hordes that were released uh, out of the abuso and they tormented the earth. 
Well, this angel now is going to have the key to the bottomless pit and and he brings a chain with them, verse 2, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so we see that Satan now is cast into the abuso and we see that it is locked and a seal is set on it. Do you remember that there was a seal, a Roman seal that was set upon the tomb of Jesus? The seal was uh, by the authority of Rome. It would be on documents or tombs or anything else. And it said, you are not to break this seal. You are not to open this underneath the authority of Rome itself. Well, when this angel locks Satan into the abuso, there is a seal that is put on it by the authority of God that no one is to break that seal. No one is to unlock this for a thousand years under the authority of God the Father himself. And so for a thousand years, Satan is now going to be chained and sealed here in the bottomless pit. And it says that he is not going to be able to wreak havoc. What is the havoc that Satan wreaks? He wreaks deception. He is not allowed to deceive the nations any longer. You see, he's a liar. He is the father of uh, lies. And, and the deception that he brings is very simple. He takes evil and makes it look good. And he takes good and he makes it look evil. And that is the confusion. That is the deception that he comes and, and he brings. We see it with Adam and Eve and we have seen it ever since. Today we see our culture magnifying evil and condemning good. And we see the confusion that has taken place. But Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free from the deception, free from the confusion of the enemy. And so here we see that no longer is the enemy no longer is Satan going to be allowed to be deceiving the nations. And so for a thousand year period, that's where the word millennium comes from. This is the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Now, question, is that a literal thousand years? Should we take that number literally? Whenever you come to numbers in the Bible, you should absolutely take them literally unless there is a clear indication or evidence as to why you shouldn't. Here we see no such evidence, and so we would believe absolutely that this is a thousand, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ here upon the earth. In verse 4 it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So John now sees two different groups. Notice with me how in verse 4 it says, I saw thrones, and then he says, <coughs> and then I saw the souls. So he sees two different groups. The first group 
is the ones that are sitting on the thrones. Who are those that are sitting on the thrones? Well, if we go back earlier in Revelation, we discovered on the 24 thrones that that was representative of the church and also the Old Testament saints. So here we see those that have lived prior to the tribulation represented by those that are sitting upon the throne. Then we have the tribulation saints. Those are the ones who, who accepted Christ after the rapture of the church, have been in the tribulation and have died during the tribulation. They're not part of the church because the church ended at the rapture. That's the bride of Christ ended then, but they're still in heaven, but they are part of now the tribulation and saints. And it says, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, the Old Testament saints who died before the ministry and the life of Christ, they are going to rule and reign. The bride of Christ, the church, is going to rule and reign. And then you have the tribulation saints that are going to rule and reign. And so we have the three groups that are going to return with Christ and are going to rule and reign with him. In verse 5, it says, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished, and this is the first uh, resurrection. So, you remember that there is Hades, and Hades had two compartments. Abraham's bosom, that's where everybody who went, who died in faith before Christ and before his shed blood. After the shed blood of Jesus Christ, everybody was preached Christ that was in Abraham's bosom. They were washed of their sins and they went to heaven. Today, Abraham's bosom is empty. But on the other side of Abraham's bosom, there in Hades, was a place of holding. And so that is still full. It is full of every single person that has died rejecting salvation through God. The peace that God has offered to every person when you reject that and your sins are still upon your soul, then you stay in Hades waiting for your arraignment. The first resurrection is of the saints, Old Testament, New Testament saints that are going to rule and reign with Christ. Jesus talked about the two resurrections and that these two resurrections, they are separated by the thousand year millennial reign. The first resurrection is the resurrection of righteousness unto life. Those are the ones that are gonna return with Christ and rule and reign with him. The others, they will be resurrected when it is time to stand before God at the great white throne of judgment. That will happen at the end of the millennium. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 5, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so these two resurrections separated by the thousand years. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So here we see not only are there two resurrections, but we also see that there are two deaths. It is important for us to be a part of the first resurrection. And it says that in the first resurrection, there is no power of the second death. So what does this first and this second death mean? 
Well, the word death in the Greek language is the word thanatos. Thanatos simply means to separate. That's all the word means. And so when God created you, he created your soul. Your soul is eternal. Your soul is the person that is looking out through your eyes. He put your soul into a body. And that body started off brand new. It's like getting into a car. It's fun getting into a brand new car. They smell so nice. They're so clean. They're wonderful. And, and they're fresh and brand new. But after the years go by, as that car starts to get older and older, you start to hear noises. They need new tires. They don't start. The batteries go dead. They, they start to wear out. Some of us can relate to those old cars that need new batteries that don't quite start as quickly as they used to. And and eventually you get rid of the car. You step out of the car. The car has just been the vehicle that has been moving you around and interacting here in our society. In the same way, your soul is just inside the body. The body is just the vehicle that you have been dwelling in. But it is going to get old and it is going to wear out and eventually it is going to end up in the junkyard. <laughs> But your soul just exits out of that vehicle and God is going to give you a new body. That's the resurrection when you will be given the new body for your soul. So the first death, the first separation is the separation of your soul back out of your body. The second death, the second separation, that happens at the great white throne of judgment. That happens when those who have rejected peace with God are now going to be rejected and separated from God's presence for all eternity. That is the spiritual death. Physical death is soul out of the body, but spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God's presence. And we see that that's exactly what the lake of fire is. It is described as outer darkness and a place of torment and, and darkness. You see, God is light. And so the absence of God is darkness. And so we see that this eternal lake, this eternal separation means the absence of the presence of God. God is light and God is love. And so in outer darkness is going to be the absence of love and the absence of light. And that in and of itself is the eternal torment, to live in the absence of love. But God is love and God has invited every single person into communion in fellowship with them. God wills that none should perish, that, and that none will go to the eternal lake of fire. But it is only through the rejection of reconciliation that God has extended that a person will end up there. And so we see here that, that the first resurrection, the second resurrection, we see the first death and the second death. But it says that believers, uh, that second death has no power. Why? Because we will never experience the separation of God. We will never experience a spiritual death. 
In verse 7, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. So here is now the final rebellion by man against God. The earth has been governed by the righteous reign of Christ for a thousand years. And so there is going to be this glorious period of time because Satan has not been deceiving mankind, but he is let out at the end of the thousand years. And once again, what is he going to do? He is going to deceive the nations. And, and what is the deception? That we will not have you rule over us. It is the same cry that we hear today. We will not have God to rule over us. We will not have him in our schools. We will not have him in our public squares. We will not have mangers. We will not have Ten Commandments. We will not have God to be ruling over us. That is the, the cry of Antichrist. And so this cry will once again begin. And who are those that will join into this rebellion? You remember that during the tribulation, it talks about the judgments, the seals, the trumpets, and the bulls, and it talks about a third of the earth and a quarter of the earth and the population. And there will be a tremendous decimation that will take place during the tribulation. But not everybody is going to die. And those that are alive that have lived through the tribulation, they are going to repopulate the earth and and so for a thousand years, they are going to be repopulating the earth. They'll be repopulating the earth, but it will be underneath the forced righteousness of the reign of Jesus Christ and of the saints. And so there will be an outward conformity to the righteousness of Christ, but there will still be rebellion in the hearts of those that have never made Jesus Christ their personal Lord and Savior. And so Satan will come now and he will lead this rebellion. It says that from the four corners of the earth, and it mentions Gog and Magog, and that leads many people to wonder, is this the same war, is this the same battle that we find in Ezekiel 38 and 39? And the answer to that would be no. I don't believe that it is. There are not any similarities between these two battles. First of all, we see that in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the armies come primarily from the north, and they involve only a few nations of the earth. But the battle here in Revelation 20 involves all nations, and that the armies are going to come from all directions. Also, we see that in Ezekiel 38 and 39, there is no mention of Satan. There is no mention of the millennial conditions. And so... Here we see that Revelation 20, and this battle here, clearly takes place at the end of the millennial reign, and the Ezekiel 38-39 battle is in the end days leading up to the millennial reign of Christ. And so we see them as two separate battles. But they seek to come against the Lord's government. And they want to overthrow the government and the rule of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. That's Jerusalem. 
And so they now come up, and this is the seat of authority. Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. So they are going to seek a civil war to overthrow the government, to topple. So they will come in and surround the city. And it says, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So we say that it's a battle, but it wasn't much of a battle. (laughs) The fight is over before it begins, and God finally deals with Satan and his followers forever. It is the last rebellion that God permits. And so he destroys not only those who have come against him, but also Satan is judged. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years. Remember, they were cast in after the battle of Armageddon when Christ returned and at the beginning of the millennial reign. So for a thousand years, they have been in the lake of fire. Now Satan is thrown into the lake of fire and they will be tormented day and night forever and uh, ever. How long is forever and ever? People ask that question. How long is this forever and ever? I think the answer is this. (laughs) Forever. That's what it means. You see, the soul was created eternal. And so there are two places that God created for the eternal soul to reside. In his presence and outside of his presence. In his presence is heaven. Outside of his presence is outer darkness. And these are the two places that are the eternal resting places for every single soul. In verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And now the great white throne of judgment. And every single person in Hades now is going to be called. They are going to be arraigned. You see, Hades is like jail. When a person's arrested, they are put in jail, and then they are brought before the judge. And if they are found guilty, they don't go back to jail. They go to prison. Jail is just the temporary holding place while you are waiting now to go before the judge. Hades is the temporary holding place for everyone who is waiting to stand before the judge Creator God of the universe at the great white throne. And they will have their arraignment. And they are going to stand before him. And it says and, uh, that there was no place uh, for them. Means that there was no escape. There was no place to run and hide. They couldn't get out of their arraignment. They will not escape God's judgment. And it says in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So the first question here is, are believers going to stand before the great white throne of judgment? And the answer is, no, no, absolutely not. This is not, the saints never stand before the great white throne. We will all stand before a throne. It will either be the throne of Christ, the Bema seat, where we will receive rewards, or it will be the great white throne. So everyone is destined to stand before a throne, but believers are not going to stand before the great white throne of judgment. 
So we see that they are going to come and stand before him. It is time now for the charges to be opened. The name will be read. And the first thing that will happen is they will check the book of life. And they will see if that name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then they will check the other books. And, and the other books uh, have the records of all of the sins that a person has ever committed. It is a fearsome thing to imagine standing before God and having to give an account for every single law of God that you broke in your life. I imagine my name called John Knapp. <laughs> These are the charges against you. When you were three years old, you hit your sister. <laughs> when you were four years old, you lied three times on one day before Easter. <laughs> and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Every single time I broke God's moral law, it was written. It wasn't recorded. Even if no one saw them, God saw it. And it was recorded. And there is a record of every single sin that I ever committed in my entire life. And if I was to stand before God, they would go over every single one of those sins. I wonder if they're read out loud. Or do they just give it to you to read? I believe if you try and dispute it, they have film footage. <laughs> and just roll the tape. And at the end, there's a lawbreaker of innumerable repetitions of sins in my life. There will be an opportunity for you to give your defense. And there will be no defense. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all lawbreakers. And you see, either our sins were judged at the cross and were washed away so that when your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that there would be the list of all the sins that you ever committed but we see that Colossians tells us that, that the handwriting has been removed. It has been washed away of every sin that you've ever committed in your entire life. And next to your name in the Lamb's Book of Life where the sins would go, there isn't one. There isn't one. Your sin has already been judged there at the cross. And so they will stand before God in recognition that Yes, they did these things. Yes, they broke God's law. And yes, they refused the invitation of God for peace through Jesus Christ that would have washed away and paid for all of their sins. And the verdict will be in and they will be judged guilty. And they will then be cast into the lake of fire where all who have rejected God rejected God's invitation and rejected God's plan will spend eternity separated from God. And so they are judged by the things that were written in the books. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And so in the resurrection, you have everybody who died, and, and there is always that question, what about the people who weren't buried? What about the people who died at sea and their bodies then just decomposed and, and their particles went all over the entire sea? What happens with them? Well, it tells us right here, God just collects them right back again. He knows how to keep track of those particles. <laughs> and so no one is going to escape the, the judgment. And then it says that hell, that Hades and, and death are judged and they are thrown into the lake of fire as well. These are the vestiges of sin. You see, in the eternal state, there will be no death. And so death now is cast uh, into the lake of fire. And Hades, that's the prison. That is the, the jail for those that are waiting to be judged. And so once uh, Hades has been emptied out, there is no need to keep that around. And so that is also going to be destroyed and cast in. Every single thing that sin has tainted and touched is going to be destroyed and is going to be recreated. And so death and Hades, they are going to be destroyed. Verse 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. <laughs> and this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The second death, the separation from the presence of God. And verse 15, I think, is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. It is a succinct, direct warning to every single person that breathes life. And God wants us to read this verse. You will remember back at the beginning of the book of Revelation that there's a blessing for every single person that will just read the book of Revelation. Why? Because if you read the book of Revelation, you are going to come to this verse. And this verse is clear warning to every single person. If your name is not found written in the book of life, then you will be eternally separated from God and you will be cast into the lake of fire. These aren't the things that might be or that possibly could be. These are the absolute things that will be. God wanted every single person to know that he loves you, and that he doesn't want any to perish. He wants none to perish and all to come to everlasting life. He loves you. He wants you to be reconciled. And he's extended his hand of reconciliation. But at the same time, if you reject the hand of reconciliation, he warns you the consequence of that. There are two eternal states, with me or separated eternally from me. And you are going to choose whether or not to receive that reconciliation that's offered through Christ. Or to refuse it. And in full disclosure, God lets us know the consequences of refusing peace will be that you will not spend eternity in his presence. I think about, and as we close our study right here, this is really the verse, the, the book of life, and a person's name being written in the book of life. And I cannot help but to believe that it is the single most important decision that a person will ever make in their entire life. 
I cannot imagine another decision that carries the, the same enormity of weight as this single decision for the destination of your eternal soul weighs in the balance of your decision and nobody else's decision. I think of the people who procrastinate this decision. I think of when John the Baptist would come to Herod who had him in prison, incarcerated, and, and John the Baptist would preach to him. He says, you know, I'll come at a more convenient time. <laughs> this isn't good. I'm uncomfortable with this. And there are those that become uncomfortable with thinking about what happens after death and, and the eternal state. And they procrastinate it. They know the claims. They know what God has said to them. And, and, and they want to get around to it, but they defer it. I think how many people are going to be tormented in hell just by their own self-knowledge that they were this close to heaven and they never, ever took the step of inviting Jesus Christ into their heart to be their Lord and Savior. They knew about Christ. They knew the claims. They knew heaven and hell. And, and, and they knew the invitation of God, but they never responded to it. And I can't imagine the torment for all eternity asking themselves, why didn't I do it? Why didn't I do it? The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation when God calls, respond to that calling. And, and there are those people that heard the call of God that were going to, intended to, meant to, put it on their to-do list. But then never got around to it. They never got around to it. And they missed heaven by procrastinating. We always think that we have more time. We never know when today is our last day. And I'm reminded of, of the ministry of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist uh, in Chicago back in the 1800s. And it was October 10th of 1871. It was a Sunday evening service. D.L. Moody was pressing in the importance of Christ, pressing in this exact point that your eternal destination lies in whether or not you allow him to wash your sins away or, or whether those sins will be on your soul and that you will be judged for those sins. And after he had pressed that point, he told them to go home and to really think about that to let that settle into their souls. He, he felt that if they spent a week just kind of meditating and chewing on that, when he gave the altar call the next week, that, that there were going to be true conversions of people who had really processed through that and were <coughs> ready to give their life to Christ. The service ended about 9 o'clock, and as the people exited out of the church in Chicago was when the first fire alarms started to ring for the great Chicago fire that occurred. 3.3 square miles of the city of Chicago ended up being burned in that fire. 
Over 100,000 people lost their homes and were displaced. Moody's church burned to the ground. Moody's house burned to the ground. Moody would say afterwards that the only thing that he escaped through the fire with was his good reputation. And that was all that he had. But over 300 people died in that Chicago fire, and many of them were right out of Moody's congregation himself. That he had sent them home to think about receiving Jesus Christ. And it changed his life. It was his greatest regret. It changed his ministry. He vowed to never again end a service without giving people an opportunity right then to act upon the move of the Spirit. I couldn't end this service without giving every single person an opportunity, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, and not next year. This is a weighty matter of you, your soul's destination and your relationship with God. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not spend eternity with God. But you can change that right here, right now. God's extended his arm to you of reconciliation and peace. Every sin is going to be judged, either judged at the cross or judged before the great white throne. And right now, while you have breath, while you have life, you have the opportunity to make sure that your sin was judged at the cross so that you will never stand before the great white throne. And as we worship, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, I'm going to invite you to come forwards and we're going to get your name written in the Lamb's book of life right here, right now, and today, not another minute delay. If that's you, stand up and come to get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see Beauty that made this heart adore me Hope of a life spent with you It doesn't matter if you're young or old, it doesn't matter rich or poor Come and get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life Stand and come now here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether worthy, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, oh, so highly exalted. Glorious in heaven above. Let's stand up and worship. Let's lift our voices to together. You all for love sake. Here I am. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful 
too. I'll never know how much it costs. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that. I'll never know how much it costs. I'll never know how much it, you took my sin. You took my sin upon that. I'll never know. I'll never know how much it, you took my sin. You took my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. How much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for taking our sin and judging it at the cross, paying for our sins with your shed blood. And thank you for writing our names in the Lamb's book of life. I thank you that never will the charges be read against us, that as far as the east is from the west, our sins have been removed, and that there is no handwriting against us. But God, you have forgiven us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the eternal hope of heaven that we have. That we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will rule and reign with you for a thousand years. And, and then we will spend eternity basking in the light of your glory and your presence. Thank you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.